Hello and welcome to the World Tennis Show. I'm Adam Bayfield and I'm joined by Patrick Ogier. Hello. And back despite massive popular demand, Tony Kerr. Hey. What are you doing here, Tony? Just thought I'd eavesdrop a bit. Just see what you guys were chatting about, just in case you were bad-mouthing me. You didn't listen to the last episode, did you? I did, but I'll, you know, I'm willing to overlook what was said in the first sort of five to ten minutes. Well, you did say you didn't make it to the end, because you no. listened while you are on your run. Uh, so you probably so the first four minutes yeah, were brilliant. got through the first <laughs> six or seven minutes. Uh, but I'm glad you didn't listen all the way to the end. That's what I'll, that's what I'll say about that. But, oh God, how long has it been then since the three of us were in a room talking tennis? Wow. 2016 US yeah. Open I believe Sampras Lendl I think was the uh, oh, you can't. The, the final of, <laughs> of the last that's Grand a Sammy long time ago and I'm not talking about Sampras Lendl I'm talking about yeah 2016 I meant a lot has changed since then boys <laughs> <That's not laughs> lads guys a lot has changed the tennis landscape is very different isn't yep. it and we're going to talk about it all on tonight's show we've only got well so on a, we've got this uh, this new recording equipment record setup here we're recording to a little recorder and uh i've just bought a new memory card a new sd card to give us a bit longer because we only had we were quite sort of limited in the amount of time we could go before got a new sd card much bigger uh looking at how long we've got left 50 hours five zero hours we've got news everyone Lock your doors. Strap in. Should be enough to you know, do a blow-by-blow review of the first round or two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> point by point. Yeah. It's like 36 hours in. We move on to the fourth round. <laughs> well, yeah, what we're talking about, of course, is the Australian mm-hmm. Open, uh, which came to an end at the weekend with a couple of really good finals, I thought. Both the, the men's and the women's final were, were very enjoyable. I thought we could start by talking about the women's final. Yeah. Halep. Wozniacki. Yeah. Would you say that it was the the best women's final for, for quite some time? It was certainly a great contest. You know, there's a, there's a tendency to, as we've discussed before, think that the most recent thing to happen is the best. Right, yeah. I mean, it was a very good final. Exceptional. And not just for the way it played out, but also, I think, the <clears throat> the character arc of the two, uh, two finalists. It's obviously so much at stake. And it meant so much, well, it would have meant so much to both of them to win. Mm. Uh, yeah, obviously, as it would any Grand Slam winner, but particularly those two. And Wozniacki winning in the end. Yeah, I mean, what a, it is an astonishing comeback, as far as I'm concerned. It was a great narrative in the final itself, in terms of, you know, Wozniacki winning the first set. And then it seemed like in the second set that Halep was struggling, didn't it? She seemed to be struggling with fitness. And you, I think, texted at one point Patrick and said, you know, looks like Halep is uh, going to struggle to make it to the end. But then she broke and won the second set. And then it was a really kind of epic third set, which ended in Wozniacki eventually taking. She, it was very impressive physically from Halep, I think, because she did look like she was struggling, understandably, because she'd had that epic match against Kerber, which was also one of the best um, women's matches I've seen for ages. That was in the semi-final. Which is an excellent match. And um, so in that heat, because um, I think they were playing at night and it was still sort of 30 degrees. Obviously, that's like measured the temperature in the shade I mean, that's incredibly hot and so i think after playing such a long semi halep was struggling um i don't know if did you see the end of the match because wozniacki's defense and i think it was the penultimate point which was incredible defense uh and the last point was as well uh wozniacki is just extraordinary uh at that type of tennis 
she She's getting to everything. I think she defies opinion a little bit because she's sort of accused of being, um, which retrievers sometimes are. It's kind of you know she just gets the ball back. Uh, she's maybe not quite as much of a shot maker as some, but I think you can only admire her fight in that match and from both of them. I just suddenly thought of this actually that it that final's a little like um, a women's version of the Ivanisevic Rafter, only in that. Even Eastwich Rafter, they'd both been in in at least two Wimbledon finals, uh, each of them. And so both of them had a kind of claim for, right, this is really my time, which is what made it such a great contest. So in this one as well, those are two players who were yet to win a Grand Slam, but who are kind of right up there. And have they both been world number one? Oh. Uh, well, yeah, because, well, Halep is the world number one. And obviously Wozniacki was like... Did she first become world number one in 2009? But hasn't Wozniacki now taken it? And is it now from number one, one, yeah. one again, yeah. Yeah, so it's that, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great setup for a match. And, They're um, sort of both in the conversation in terms of being the, the best yeah. player to have never won a Grand Slam. One thing which the match did bring to mind, which is, it's, it seems a bit harsh, maybe a bit sort of nitpicking, is that one of the reasons that it was such an epic contest is that for parts of the match, neither of them was serving all that well. And what that meant is that it enabled these incredible rallies. But it did make me think about Serena's dominance in women's tennis and basically the fact that where she's unique is both in her um, power and shot making from the back, but perhaps most of all, and almost certainly most of all, especially in light of us talking about the importance of the serve, is that she just has by far the best serve in women's tennis. So she has that ability to just get those cheap points, which these two didn't. It's weird in a way because uh, it's kind of becomes a bit the opposite of the Isna Mahu type situation where you've got these guys serving incredibly well. Obviously, that's an, an extreme example. But watching that match, you think, okay, but if one of these guys was returning better, this wouldn't happen if you had like a Djokovic style return. And it made me think of like years ago, something Sampras said as he, he was irritated with people complaining about how tennis had become because we're such powerful servers that, oh, you know, it's just about the serve. It's one or two shots. And Sampras said... This was well, like in the 90s. Yeah, well, yeah. and Sampras said at the t- Yeah, basically, he had played Ivan Isevich in the final of Wimbledon and the average rally length had been kind of a shot or two shots. And fair enough, yeah, it wasn't a great match. But there was criticism about the way tennis had become. And Sampras, Sampras's point was that he didn't think it's that exciting if there are matches where people are just constantly getting broken as well, where the serve isn't an asset. So I don't know what you think about what you think about that. What, what, maybe there's like a sort of perfect level where... A sweet spot. Yeah, where you get a kind of couple of breaks. Yeah, I mean, I think there is an element of comparison with cricket, isn't there, which is something we Here talk we about. Here Lord, we go. Little plug. Uh, oh, God. But, you know, in terms of... Yeah, I'll be back in uh, a few minutes. I think it's probably true of any sport in terms of, you know, in cricket, bat and ball, attack and defence. You know, yeah, you don't want the serve to dominate and you don't want the serve to be so feeble that it's not a weapon. It's not, you know, there's no advantage to serving because, yeah, exactly. If, you, if it's just break, break, break... It, <laughs> Patrick's so annoyed he just slammed down Sorry his about that. mug. Well, it becomes a, a nonsensical sport like yeah, squash exactly. when the serve um, <laughs> loses its potency. No comment. But, you know, I think the serve should hold an advantage, yeah, for the spectator so that when a break does happen, it's meaningful. And also, there is something to be said for a crucial moment, um, that big ace coming mm. coming out, isn't there? Do you remember, uh, the, yeah, the final of the Fed, the final of the Aussie last year, Fed Nadal? Uh, in those, in that crucial, well, in that last game, Federer five three. I think he 
Nadal passed him first point, but then he came up with a couple of big aces and the crowd are going mad. Mm. So aces in that moment, that, that's yeah, brilliant. In, in that situation, aces do become really exciting. And even Isovic was incredible for that as well, wasn't he? When he would just sort of pluck out a second serve ace um, in a crucial yeah. moment. Or yeah, if you're like love 40 down and you just go bang, bang, bang. I mean, yeah. it, we've, again, this is something we've talked about before, but the thing of like the mental fortitude that is required obviously there are so many sports football being one example where you are just kind of operating in this like flow state almost it's like being in the zone isn't it where you're just reacting to things you don't have that much time to think about anything Mm. until you get to something like a penalty shootout where great footballers can suddenly completely lose the plot where in tennis in the rally you are just reacting to things but when you're serving you've got a lot of time to think about it and the, the you know the thought of being love 40 down and it's maybe three championship points or something and being able to pull out three aces in in that situation is mm. pretty impressive reminds me of uh, someone i mentioned from time to time matt letissier so in a in a team sport the perhaps the most individual element in all of football is a penalty shootout or when someone has a penalty letissier pretty much unrivaled in the the old penalty moments and said that he loved that moment where it was just all down to him and maybe that thing of loving that that tension, that Im- the importance of that point is is what sort of separates separates some great players. Not something I thrive on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the pressure. Yeah, responsibility. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. Not- certainly not on a sports field. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, hugely pleased for Wozniacki. I think uh, you know, in terms of her career trajectory, you know, having lost two Slam finals before, there was that time. Going back, I guess what, like five or six years <clears throat> when she was world number one. If you were the first listening, time around. Tane, if you'd been listening to the conversation, I would have told you. I did tell you that she first became world number one in two thousand and nine. So it's there nine years ago. Nine wow. years, wow, exactly. And uh... <laughs> you sound so surprised. <laughs> I literally said it minutes ago. Hearing it for the first time. That's the first I've heard of it yeah. as well. I, I think I just blank out a bit sometimes. I zone out when you're talking. <laughs> But yeah, okay, nine two thousand nine. So what is that? Nine years ago. Twelve years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that you know, and the the way her career has played out since then, and you know, falling away almost entirely, not figuring you know at the, at the business end at all of uh, of, of tournament or of slams uh, at least. Uh, yeah, for her to get back to that, and you know, all the demons that must have been going through her mind in the final, probably maybe having thought she wasn't going to get back to that stage again. I mean, obviously, you know, she was coming into the tournament after a, a great couple of months, an amazing end to last season. So, and, and yeah, and second seed. So it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, a surprise necessarily that she got to the final, but I think impressive resolve and strength of character to see it out in the end in a hugely competitive final against someone who is also desperately trying to win a slam but, uh, that's what made it a great contest and uh halep had a fantastic tournament as well and also uh, as we mentioned last time uh the fact that it is incredible that wasniak was 5-1 down in, in the in the final set in her second round second, third round to the illegitimate daughter of boba fett <laughs> yana fett um but just one point to make here before we go on i've looked it up it was actually 2010 that she became one oh, of well so i mean why are we not only did you say the wrong thing you said it twice i know yeah. and made a real like real big <laughs> yeah. point of it yeah embarrassing um, i do understand why you tune out when i'm talking just on that issue of the pressure that she would have felt uh it's a little like the um murray's situation uh, a few years back when there was all this thing you know will he ever get a slam and that his then coach Lendl had had in his career as well of like 
um, you know, we've been in these finals, he's almost there, but the, there is pressure in that, isn't there? And I think, do you agree that Halep, there's probably, um, it's a matter of time before she... Yeah, I was going to say, presumably she will win one at some point. She's mm. certainly, you know, you've got to say she played well enough in this tournament to, to think that it's not going to be long before she does get one. And it, she, she's a really great player to watch, I think, Halep. Like, she's a very, yeah. very likeable figure. She obviously is quite animated on mm. the court a little similar to Andy Murray in some ways mm. um you having brought up that Murray comparison she's a little similar to him on court as well in her demeanor and her antics um but I'd, yeah I, th- I think she's a she's a great player to watch and although I was really pleased for Wozniacki I was also a bit sad for Halep because I think she deserved it as well yeah. shame that someone had to lose yeah tennis was the winner and I don't mean sangrin <laughs> tennis sangrin was the winner of come this. on to that in a minute <laughs> yeah open up a whole kettle of fish there um the other point about the uh women's final I wanted to make is that it's also quite cool regardless of what you think of of Wozniacki's game style uh it's it's cool that as I was saying last time that tennis is a sport where a lot of different there's a lot of different ways to play the game so this idea, like Serena, albeit, yeah, she wins a lot. She doesn't win everything. And um, it's cool to see some variety. So uh, Wozniak is being a kind of counterpuncher. I wanted to mention my my new favorite female player, Shay Suwei, who basically, I, I think it's incredible that I, I watched the highlights of um, Shay Suwei against uh, Muguruza. Um, and I think Suwei won it... Um, Six four six four, and it was amazing to watch because Muguruza was hitting powerful shots. She was, you know, her sort of grunting was getting louder and louder. She was playing that kind of just all-out attacking tennis, and Shea Suwei was just like outthinking her and um, just using timing and kind of guile to move her around the court and just proved that the that you know you can you can find other ways to play the game it reminded me a bit of someone like Fabrice Santoro who's known for how strangely he'd play and I think that's really cool to see taking a leaf out of Bayfield's book unorthodox just intelligent tennis yeah interesting Tone. style and he, he she, knows all about that she, she played a load <laughs> of she, 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 many times <laughs> she played loads of like drop shots great touch uh, she's she's been the world number one doubles player so she's got like great volleys um, and then, obviously, she beat Radwanska and very, very narrowly lost to Kerber um, and possibly should have won that. And Kerber had said after the match that she was just, just like, she couldn't believe the stuff that, that, that her opponent was coming out with. Um, it's just interesting to play someone like that. Like, she was made to run so much. In fact, maybe there's a, there's a possibility that uh, quite how hard Kerber's pushed there, that's what kind of, like, gave Halep the edge in their, in their contest. So yeah, that was a great final on the on the women's side. The following day, on Sunday, we had the men's final. I don't. I really enjoy the Australian Open. It's a weird tournament, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's a weird tournament as a viewer in the UK because you kind of go through the whole thing without seeing very much of the tennis at all. Like the games are either on in the middle of the night, or really annoyingly, the kind of night session match starts about eight thirty. So they're literally on court for the warm up, which, as you know, annoys me. As I'm having my breakfast, and then I have to go to work just before the match starts. So I, I didn't really see any of those matches either on work days. So it's a bit funny. You don't see a lot of tennis, but then finals weekend is actually really great. And I always love, yeah, that Sunday morning men's final dressing gown on, you know, it's a very enjoyable, uh, very enjoyable sort of annual tradition at the Bayfield household anyway. 
Um, yeah, for sure. And it, it does beat waking up at, because I watched a couple of the matches that I was particularly keen on seeing, one of the Chung matches. And I think I kind of got an hour's sleep or something, woke up at 2.30 to watch it. Like watched that, I kind of fell asleep on the sofa then for an hour and then watched like an 8 a.m. one or a 7 a.m. match. Uh, yeah, it's tough. But um, yeah, so the, the did you think the Fed Chilich match was a, was a good match? Well, that was going to be my question to you. So why don't we both put that question to Tone? I mean, as far as sort of five setter goes, I don't, five set matches go, I don't think it was, it wasn't a classic, but yeah, enjoyable enough. I mean, it's, it, it was the shame that it sort of ran away from Chilich in quite the way it did at the end. In the final set. Yeah, uh, 6-1. And yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it was decent, but I think obviously very hugely memorable for the winner and yeah. and what it meant and and the story of that so it, it, it's not an unforgettable final but it uh, it wasn't a sort of classic for me it, it is cool though that chilich uh, put up such a good contest for much of it bearing in mind how tragic in a way it was really quite tough to watch some of the wimbledon final because he i mean that was he, awful he yeah. had that issue with um severe blisters uh, which also it will come on to that with with chung's match but it was also watching it. It was partly mental, wasn't it? That, the that Wimbledon, Wimbledon final. final. It was yeah. kind of a case of um, the, the the moment getting to him and the yips overawed by I the think occasion. So. And that was that was tough to watch. So Chilich was incredible for parts of this final, and arguably should have should have broken Federer at the start of that fifth. Yeah, he certainly had his opportunities. It was a bit of a it was a bit of a weird match in a way because, as you say, Tone, I think it's probably not one for the ages. But it still ended up being a five-setter where the momentum changed, you know, just sort of went back and forth, didn't it? And it, it was, I say it was a weird one because for me anyway, I really felt as though Federer was in control the whole way through. Like it, Federer was brilliant in the first set and it seemed like he was just in charge. But then suddenly he was break point down in the final set. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute, he might actually lose. I, no, I didn't think until then, I was like, I, at no point did I think he was going to lose. But then you know, suddenly he could have done. You know that thing, though, watching, if you, if you know, for a Federer fan watching, when he's playing someone like Chilich and the same with Burditch, is that thing of when he does go a breakdown, especially in like a final set, that the way those guys play is so dangerous that that's what does make it still quite exciting. Because you just think, like, I remember thinking that with the Nadal match, you, you, you know, you win a set against Burditch and Nadal being a set up, whatever, um, against a lot of players, you think, right, game over. But Chilich plays such sort of kind of, you know, bang, bang, uh, quick points, uh, quick point tennis that he can quickly get back into a match. It was interesting after the tournament that Federer had said that for some reason that before the Burditch match, he really f- felt that he was going to lose. I don't know if you saw that, just from how well Burditch had been playing. And also I think he just sort of couldn't really believe that he could do do it all again this year. Um, but I think it's that thing of when players like that click on their day, will you get a situation like the Chilich-Federer uh, match um, in the US Open that time and Chilich's whole run there where he just, just blew everyone away. Um, and uh, he is a deserved... So he moved to world number three after this tournament and he deserves it because, I mean, he's now been in three Grand Slam finals and... Um, you know he's he's won a Grand Slam and uh, well, he's been in two of the last three Grand Slam finals. Very likable guy as well, I think. Mm. Yeah, hugely, and I think uh, you know overall it was uh, an enjoyable men's tournament and some really good stories, which are, we're going to talk about in a bit more detail. But before we do yeah. that, should we, should we just mention the other player in the final as well, though? <laughs> <laughs> Roger Federer, he won, didn't he? 
He won his 20th Grand Slam, number 20. Great start that was floating around that I spotted long before any of the uh, commentators noticed it, I think. But this was the uh, 200th Grand Slam in the Open Era. Uh, and obviously Federer, having won 20, Roger Federer has 10% of all Grand Slam titles. Pretty impressive. Mm. That is pretty amazing. And that's since, what, 1968? So when we last did a tennis show all together... It was 2016. Do you remember that? Uh, well, I listened back, back just to a few minutes of that and um, we should actually replay it. But there's, there's, a, there's a clip where Tone is talking about, you know, it's hard to see what well, you both are and I'm just disagreeing. But it's, no, it's hard to see, look beyond Djokovic-Murray for the for the foreseeable. And it was. Um, and it's amazing what's happened because there was that thing of, you know, barring some extraordinary circumstances, it's hard to see Djokovic not, you know, overtaking Federer's slam record and you think now well it, what's weird is that it's not one thing which has led to Djokovic's decline there have been seemingly personal issues and then also um injuries um yeah I mean I'm not I'm not sure like a lack of belief um I actually have a bit of a theory which is probably not that likely but I do think Djokovic sometimes uh might struggle a bit by the fact that he's perhaps not as popular as he could be um, and he sees Federer and, and the way that, like we mentioned last time, the US Open crowd, um, they're all for Federer. And you know, Djokovic thinks, right, well, I've won like four slams in a row. I never do anything really wrong in my interviews or in my behavior. Um, like, why aren't I more kind of appreciated? I don't know. Do, do, do you think there's a possibility there? Yeah, like, maybe. Lost a bit of love for the game, like through... Sort of reject, feels a bit yeah. rejected. Possibly. I mean, yeah, David Law was saying that the final on Sunday felt like a Davis Cup crowd, and that's pretty much what it is, isn't it, for Federer, kind of whenever he plays. And wherever. Yeah, you know, and playing, wherever. Yeah, exactly. Playing in Wimbledon, he, at one point, the year that he beat Murray, uh, the support was 50-50, uh, at best, for Murray. Uh, and that, That's incredible, isn't it? Um I think for Djokovic as well, it was a case of he achieved the thing that he was trying to achieve in winning the French Open, you know, that career Grand Slam. He maybe lost a little bit of motivation after that. The same that. way that Murray did once Murray had um, had won Wimbledon. Do you remember he actually mm. had a bit of a, a, bit of a decline uh, for a while? Mm. Uh, but I think with Djokovic, what's interesting is that we've talked before about his relentless professionalism and how he looks for... 1% increases in his game and he's looked at everything to do with diet and to do with different unusual uh, training strategies and there has been some quite odd stuff you know there's this guy um, who became part of his coaching team who's there was a lot of talk about him basically being a kind of guru I heard about a thing whereby you know that he Djokovic and others they'd, they'd, they'd sit around and this guy genuinely wears kind of like long flowing white robes and has long hair and things and uh, they do exercises where they'd like uh, have a pot of rice and say nice things about the rice to the rice sounds like a yeah, night out of the Chinese for us <laughs> <laughs> say nice things about the uh, beef brisket <laughs> yeah um, yeah but I think Djokovic is interested in you know sort of meditation and in and in all aspects of kind of his diet and you know there's the thing about going gluten free. He, he became very very skinny, I think, as well. And I think maybe a mixture of like almost too much tinkering with um, like trying to achieve perfection, and then maybe problems in his in his personal life. But I don't I don't know about that. But maybe you know that's what led him to drop a bit. 
But I mean, the situation now, so we were saying, okay, it's only a matter of time. Well, we were, you two were. The only matter of time that Djokovic overtakes a federal record. Well, Djokovic now still on 12 titles. He'll need eight more to even really be in the conversation of you know, especially in terms of Grand Slams, who's the greatest? So he'd need eight more to equal Federer, assuming yeah. that Federer wins no more. I mean, that's the I thing. Mean, yeah, and I, without being sort of categoric, I, don't, I, I haven't checked back at the tape, so I'll trust you on that. <laughs> I, I, I probably did say that. I don't remember. I thought I might have said, I can't see a way that he'll get close it to Federer. <laughs> it's just the polar opposite. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, you both said it. I'll... I'll well, Patrick 14 has- minutes in as the US Open <laughs> podcast 2016 still available online check for yourselves but yeah I mean I, I think that's you're probably right I mean it, it, you'd say that now there's no chance of that <laughs> well this is again exactly again <laughs> being very reactive because so, uh, well, who knows I mean Djokovic may you know yeah, I don't think come it, back and he he could play another four or five years who knows but, but what is amazing that yeah two years ago we were sat here Djokovic at that point was only five away from Federer and eight Grand Slams later, I think at that point we thought that he may well have gone past him or certainly me and Tony did. Um, So we thought that maybe by now he might have even gone beyond Federer and not only has he not won a single single one more, Federer's won three more. So he's actually three further away than he was when we last talked about it. And the other point there is that um, in Djokovic's case, if he wins, so if he won eight more, and uh, equaled Federer's total. You'd still have the fact that you know Federer has had 302 weeks, or whatever it is, at world number one. It's looking like a pretty tall order to challenge that. Whereas Rafa, you know, at the time as well, that's another thing. 2016, we were talking. We weren't really, you know, you two as well, just writing off <laughs> Rafa. <laughs> well, who we was saying um, he had been struggling, and you know, it, it, will he win another Slam? Well, Rafa's been brilliant, and it was very sad his injury in this tournament. I, I have a feeling that Chilich might have found a way to beat him anyway. He was playing that well, but Rafa now on fifteen. So would need five more, which is less extreme. And I actually think the thing with the thing with Rafa, his record against Federer and his other achievements mean that he'd only have to equal Federer's slam record um, for the GOAT debate to massively swing in his favour. Yeah, so we we have kind of we've sort of stumbled into another edition of the GOAT debate, the greatest of all time debate. The, the complexion of that debate has has changed again since, we, since yeah. the last time we oh. talked about this, which is basically every world tennis show, and we may as well and rename also, the podcast the, the Goat Debate. The thing is, is it, it did last year as well. Do you remember Federer beating Nadal in that crucial match, and in some ways, it's one of the best. It's one of the best matches they've ever played at last year's Australian Open. Yeah, um, people were saying, "Well, that's just you know, he's just done everything now." That settled the question. Well, since then, winning Wimbledon without dropping a set, and then doing the same at the next Australian Open, and and. Also, think of this. He only he didn't drop a single set on the way to the final, and then he dropped you know one seven six and the, and then one other set. But it's basically quite a dominant win still. Mm. I mean, yeah, I think there are, before we get onto the goat debate, I mean, yeah, we I kind think, of are in the goat. Yeah, we're, we're, in the goat we're sort of skirting around it before we dive in completely. I mean, yeah, there's a, what is astonishing about it is that, isn't it? It's not just it. You know, that win last year uh, at the Australian Open wasn't just a sort of a flash of nostalgia you know re- like rolling back the years one last time mm. it is in the context of Djokovic and Murray battling their own issues so mm. it would be interesting to see it would, well you know if you could go back in history and, and plant those two fully fit at the start of 2017 how it would have played out mm. but 
ignoring them, you know, putting those two aside, Federer, the 36-year-old, 35-year-old Federer, is still, for <laughs> over a year now, seen off pretty much everyone exactly all the time and, and you know and, and the next generation of players can't even get anywhere near him and also there is an issue there and it's this um people will sometimes say yes but you know nadal got injured or you know they've missed periods through injury well like it or not a part of professional sport is looking after yourself playing the schedule in such a way um doing all the things right playing an efficient style which enables you to you know be in the mix and nadal has played the most physical style of tennis anyone's ever played. And that's led to all his successes, but it's also led to his injuries. And um, His greatest strength was also his greatest weakness. It's just, just like just doing a film trailer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, Djokovic and Murray, Murray's, um, it's unfortunate they do have these issues. And Federer perhaps, yeah, you could say he's, he's blessed to maybe be kind of genetically lucky that he hasn't um i don't think he's still ever retired during a match um in his entire career it's, it's crazy but it's all genetic luck yeah exactly yeah. And, and ways, that, isn't that it? irritates me as well that, yeah. that, i thought of that the other day because there's this thing of one of the reasons for serena's um somewhat kind of lack of popularity as such a great champion is people sort of say well it's kind of unfair i mean she's such a physical specimen it's just not fair on the other players it's like people don't say that about usain bolt mm. Like, yeah, or or you know, te- technical ability is yeah. t- is yeah, genetic. Is, Everything well, yeah. like I would say, yeah, it requires virtually work. everything is mm. either genetic or a result of things that's totally outside yeah, your control that, anyway. So it, it's not it that is irrelevant. But yes, like te- ability with a racket is also yeah. I mean, luck. you've got to add that. But you know, it, it as any coach would say, you know, natural ability is worth nothing unless you work hard. Yeah, but hard work is worth nothing without natural ability. Like I could have worked as hard as Roger Federer would not have been as good. No, no, but you, you could be a professional tennis player potentially. Like, you can get further with just hard work than you can with just natural ability. I think. Yeah, we're talking about me, not just, <laughs> not just anyone. Yeah, you're not going good anywhere. Point. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> Hopeless. No, but um, so I, what, just to build on what you're saying there, Pat, I agree. Like when people say, "Oh, his cheers," he's Ad. been he's been so lucky with his injury record compared to Nadal and Djokovic, mm. etc. I'd say that is actually an argument in his favour. For That's sure. Another reason why he's the greatest is and because not, he hasn't been injured. It's not coincidence. You know, it's a it's a pretty bold move, especially if you think of your legacy and you think of, you know, he, he would love to, I'm sure he'd love to add weeks to his uh, total of weeks at world number one. And at the moment, he's amazingly he's sort of, I think he's 100 points behind Nadal. So, Which is he, nothing in, yeah, the, exactly. in terms if of the he, ranking. If he plays Dubai and Nadal either doesn't play, um, I can't remember where his next event but if Nadal doesn't play it or if Nadal doesn't do as well as last year Federer will return to world number one but my point is is that Federer's made decisions in the past which basically rule him out of being in the mix for getting to world number one he'll say I won't you know I won't play the entire clay season that's what he did last year so so yes he's not favorite against Nadal if they play on clay but playing the clay season and picking up a few wins you know obviously he's got zero points of that of that part of the season yeah and um, he could still go to world number 1 yeah, probably could, still will go to world number 1 yeah without doing that and and this thing of choosing which tournaments to play um knowing like listening to your body uh, that uh, again the you can say, oh, it's unfortunate the others get injured. Well, you can equally say that Federer has been very smart and also the style that he plays, the efficiency of movement, has been crucial to his success. 
Yeah, and arguably at 36, he's moving better than he ever has. Well, this is another point. And, and playing better. And, than yeah, this is another point. Um, Lever has just said he thinks that Federer might be better than he's ever been. And I think there's a very good case for this. You might say, you know, Federer, okay, so he doesn't have the dominance he had of 2006, or whatever, when he was winning um, 12 titles a year. But as we said last time, and uh, Craig O'Shaughnessy pointed out, Federer's serve stats, the most important shot in the game, were better last year than in any year of his career. Admittedly, he didn't play the clay court season where his serve would be less, slightly less effective. But certainly his serve in these big matches and stuff, it's it's better than it's ever been. His second serve, he's getting more more joy on. But also... His um, backhand. He's, yeah, his backhand's way better. The, the, as Again, you could say, well, it's an advance in technology. Like, he changed racket. But, like, it's difficult to change racket um, as a tennis player. And Federer made that decision. Yeah, his backhand became way more potent than it's ever been and is the reason that he's just won, what is it, five times in a row against Nadal? I think he's won the last 11 sets in a row against Murray. These are two of his biggest idols. Mm. He, he hasn't played Djokovic um, much yeah. at all last while. I mean, to me, it, it, I, I, yeah, I don't find it surprising that the longer, you know, obviously Roger Federer is, you know, uh, and from another planet in terms of his ability. <laughs> yeah. But the longer you give that guy a racket, the better he's going to get in terms of, like, I think he's... What do you mean the longer you give him a racket? I said, so, the, yeah, the longer, he's, the longer he plays, the sort of better he's going to get. But mm. it's the fact that... He his sort of physicality has held up. Mentally, he still wants it, mm. and and you're sort of reaping the reward of that now because you've got a guy who's who's been playing on the tour for like 20 years, but he's still, yeah, as we talked about, still physically so good. Yeah, well, he's well, got all that experience. Yeah, he's got the experience allied. I, I to think the physicality. So I think what I mean by that is I think Federer of 2018 would beat Federer of 2008. Another aspect of that is that he is playing smarter than ever and there was another stat that during this tournament no other player uh, finished off points uh, more often in five shots or less so it's, that's another thing you know keeping the rallies down if it's 40 degrees you don't want to be playing 35 shot rallies Federer knows this it's not luck that enables that it's it's taking the ball early it's it's serving that well it's being aggressive on returns I think that it's settled now the, the goat, the goat debate. I mean, I think I, he is the greatest. You know, a couple of years ago when we were talking about it, and when Djokovic had just won the French Open, and we were suddenly thinking, well, maybe that seventeen slams record is in some jeopardy. You know, I was beginning to think for the first time, well, maybe we will have to rethink mm. the idea that Federer is the greatest. But I think what he's done in the last year has settled it. Yeah, of course, it could change again in the future. There could be someone else who comes along and and breaks all his records it's hard, they've hard got to a tall, imagine a tall order, <laughs> they've got a tall order but it's not impossible but certainly at the moment there's absolutely no question for me that he is the greatest a because of what he's done over the last year to be to like you say to be playing better than ever and to have achieved all these things won Wimbledon for the eighth time at the age that he is like the longevity of his career is astonishing and even you know it's been brilliant to see Nadal come back but he's still what five six years younger than Federer so yeah I saw some... his longevity is not quite the same I've uh, seen some people being like oh uh of course age isn't an issue like why like sort of as if people like surprised that people are amazed that he can do it well like obviously people are gonna be amazed they can do yeah. it at 36 because what other players are there at that age who are, who are that good? Well, in, and most in tennis, the, particularly. When most yeah. of the greats, or I mean, how old, how old was Borg when he retired? I think he, I mean, that was unusual because mm. he sort of seemingly retired 
through not being able to live with kind of being beaten. Uh, but he retired, I think, was 28 something like that, you know, but everyone like Sampras retired, you know, it was Sam amazing. Sampras was 31, I think. And, yeah. You, you think incredible. Sampras has beaten Agassi in, in this final where he's this old. It was like, well, Federer's, well, Federer's now five years older than that and is still winning slams and looking better than ever. So for that reason, I'd say it's settled. Uh, but also <clears throat> like, I think leaving aside the kind of statistical arguments. Mm. And I think even if you just do it purely on a st- statistical basis, yeah. he still comes out on top. I mean, obviously, A, because he has literally got the most slams of anyone. So, But even if you get into the sort of, uh, even if you dive into the the mechanics of the statistical argument, people would say, oh, what about the head-to-head and et cetera, mm. et cetera. You can have that conversation. I still think Federer comes out on top. But leaving that aside, no other tennis player has come anywhere near to giving as much pleasure, as much joy to me and to people all around the world it's he's so great to watch like there's just no both in terms of like the artistry of his game but also the the, you know the that thing of how sort of inspiring he is to watch his Mm. what he's doing at the age of 36 Mm. there's just no way that Djokovic for all that he's a brilliant player and I really like him or Nadal for all he's a brilliant player and I really like him or Sampras for all that he was a brilliant player there's no way that you can compare. I don't well, think. Um, a few years ago, I think it was about 2013, 2014, um, there were a number of pundits and, and journalists, and this irritated me at the time and we talked about it. One of them was uh, Charlie Eccleshare, I think, for The Telegraph. And there's a guy called Harry Wall... Um, just naming, naming, yeah, naming, exactly. name, <laughs> name, name and this shame. Is, this is like calling out Mark Kermode <laughs> for his horrendous Star Wars review. Um, but these players, some uh, sorry, these... Um, these commentators, these pundits. For the listeners at home, Patrick just did air quotes there. These, <laughs> these commentators. These so-called, um, you know, experts. Fake news. They're, they're morons, though, because... <laughs> no, but genuinely... They're going to reel back yeah, on that. No, 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 not at all. So not only did they say, you know, Federer will never win another slam. That's fine. David Knight said that, and he's lost... David Knight said that in, like, 2008. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> and, and what's he owe us? He owes us a trip to Africa, because that's what he was willing to bet. Well, it was kept being double or quits, and it yeah. started with... A meal. A meal. It's now a trip to Africa. Yeah, for three of us. So, Dave, we'll, yeah, we'll call you up on that. But, um, so, these people said, not only will Federer never win a slam, okay, so that's one thing, but there were these articles saying this is why Federer must retire in order to protect his legacy and this sort of thing. And I thought, who the hell do they think they are, like, like saying that someone should retire? And they think if Federer had retired in 2012, what, like, what we've missed out on in terms of the moments in tennis that he's given us since. Someone at the time, if you, at about that time, said... It'll be interesting because what Fed, what might happen is that Federer actually changes his game, becomes more aggressive, and um, you know has to adopt this sort of super aggressive style, keeps points shorter, and actually sort of go from strength to strength. Actually, that was me. No, it was me saying that. Yeah. <laughs> so you can listen to the old podcast and find that. That was definitely me. Um, yeah. So I mean, I'm someone who's loathe to say I told you so, but <laughs> yeah, I, you know, yeah, I, 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 fa- you I'm, do look. I'm yeah, famous no, for that. I, it's I really paining you. I'm famous for that. But but it that's what happened. Federer changed the way he played. And I've wanted to do this for a while, but this thing of like the case for Federer is that there's a clip of Federer playing Agassi in the final of the US Open uh, 2004, and it's McEnroe commentating. And then they just have this rally, like quite a good baseline rally, and just completely out of the blue, Federer hits an 
incredible backhand drop shot. McEnroe's comment was, that's why you look at a guy like this and you say to yourself, this could be the greatest player who's ever played. The reason I mention that now is because that was 2004. Federer had won three slams. So he was, McEnroe at the time was already saying this could be the greatest player who's ever played. You know, McEnroe's won more slams than that. Loads of players had won more slams. Sam Press had won 14. But McEnroe saw something in Federer's game. And the reason, perhaps above all, that I'd say that Federer is the greatest of all time is he's combined the kind of genius of, you know, like I mentioned before, like a, a Letissier or you know, my favourite rugby players, like Fijian, Rupeni, Thalfel, just unbelievable talent, or you could say Marcelo Rios. He's combined that with the sort of um, longevity, professionalism, and all the statistics, which have meant 14 years later, they were still talking about moments like that. There was a moment in this match where Federer hit a drop shot completely out of the blue, and the commentators are kind of, you know, just saying, I know, we've never seen anything like this. It's that combination of the way he plays the game and now just all the stats on his side, I think there's a pretty tough case for, for Federer being the best. It was the half volleys for me in this final that were well, really one like getting me, off, really, getting me out of my seat. Yeah. There was one where it's just like no, no one hits that shot. I mean, yeah. maybe Kyrgios actually is a kind of um, one of the only players that sort of go for something so outrageous, kind of half volley running backwards flick. Going back to this thing of he has the statistics. I think what he has done over the last year as well is move the needle a bit on the statistics as well, both in terms of he now has 20 slams, as you say, he's moved eight ahead of Djokovic again, he's five ahead of Nadal. But also, you know, one of the big things that people would bring up against him was his head-to-head record against Nadal, which was like a Yeah, it was horrific. I think it was 23-11 at one point. But yeah, like Federer's won the last five. So So there's an argument that sort of he's worked out how to beat someone who was unbeatable to him. But it's not just that. It's that it it was 23-11, now it's 23-16. But Federer is now ahead off of clay. So Nadal's way ahead on clay. But on the other two services, Federer leads Nadal. And obviously, you can't take clay out of the equation altogether obviously like it it counts as much as the other services except that there are so few tournaments on grass how many times have they played on grass twice yeah whereas they've played uh, on clay three times and Federer's won two Federer's won two and, yeah. and Nadal won once and, it, and, that's the and other there's thing. no tournaments on grass if, if there were as many if they played on grass as many times as they played on clay Federer would probably be ahead on the head. Absolutely. And you look at the Masters Series titles, I think Nadal, is Nadal, I think Nadal or Djokovic, you know, he's the leader of all Masters Series, but 22 of Nadal's 30, whatever it is, are on clay. Um, there's just no tournaments on, on grass. There's, no. No, there's Wimbledon and there's a couple of and, you know, There's also not it. really many tournaments, big tournaments on indoor hard. Like Nadal is actually not very good on indoor hard, which is, it's, I was talking to someone about this the other day. It's strange in a way because living in a relatively bad climate you know or a wet climate here a lot of tennis we play indoor and there are lots of countries that play a lot of indoor tennis and it's just strange to think you know Nadal I think has won one indoor tournament in his career uh, he just doesn't doesn't mm. suit his game new uh, balls indoor <laughs> frightening <laughs> <laughs> watch out on the balcony yeah exactly <laughs> literally they don't land yeah uh, um but let's it is amazing isn't it like the fact that they change the tennis balls is it every six games new balls yeah. plays how often do we change tennis balls to like every, every six years? Every six years. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so when you get down to about two balls, you're like, we should get chewed by the dog <laughs> enough. But. Just as you said, Tone, 
comically bad with new tennis balls. Yeah. Just on that, just we've talked about this before, but the thing of it's not just stats, you know, you said about in cricket as well, like you can't, uh, you know, there might be someone who has the best numbers, but they weren't, if they weren't that exciting or whatever. There okay, are different. Patrick bringing up the cricket show now. Too. Yeah. Well, well, not the cricket show. Good to I don't know what well, that is. You but... said it. Well, no, you said it now. <laughs> well, you're definitely going to edit me out laying into the cricket show. Um, but uh, I'm going to edit it so it sounds like you're <laughs> yeah, yeah, really badly. Like, <laughs> it's a great show. <laughs> I love the world <laughs> cricket show. Um, it's not just stats like that res- that that lead to greatness. They're one of the aspects. And like you said a minute ago, there's never been a player I don't think who's as you know. Not everyone likes Federer, but certainly a lot of people do. Mm. And I think he's probably the most popular player of all time. There was that funny poll um, a few years ago it's like who the most trusted admired respected people on earth are Federer was number two behind Nelson Mandela <laughs> <laughs> so it's like like you, you're doing well when you like you've won your sportsmanship thing like 12 years you know all of these things come together and and I think something which is quite crucial like who has the longest highlight reel the way you play the game like the or the most varied highlight reel you can find things which are like you know top 10 Federer toying with opponents by hitting no look shots you could find these for sort of every area of the game that thing of like variety mixed with success i think that's what i mean it's not it's not just like the joy that he gives it's not like just in terms of his personality and stuff Hmm. but just watching him play the game he's like sporting christmas isn't he there's there's a uniqueness as well that um people have said this in uh about the tennis locker room so obviously wherever they play tournaments um the the one place where the players kind of like bump into each other it's just the the locker they say whether playing at Wimbledon Aussie Open wherever yeah it's, it's obviously really cool if you're like a player lower down the rankings and you see Nadal you see Djokovic stuff they said it's totally different when Federer walks in there's kind of like silence hmm. it's just like a kind of hushed like like yeah just sort of a, kind of appreciative of what he's done for the game and it, I think it's not just that he's you know the best players he's one of the great sportsmen that yeah, I think the way exactly that it, this astonishing one-way traffic in terms of crowd support mm. uh, towards him and yeah, the the way he's talked about, the way he handles it, it's, it's just more praise really. But like the way he handles it is exceptional. But yeah, you know, when you're talking about the goat, though, I think what he's done last year and and this year already, and you know, who knows what will happen, you know, for the next year or so or whatever, he's moving way up if not, you know, coming out on top in terms of the GOAT sports person of all time. Yeah, mm. uh, yeah I agree. You know, you, you know... What, what about the GOAT human? <laughs> GOAT of all animals. Yeah. <laughs> He's the GOAT. But just, GOAT human you know, is like you, a really bad superhero just idea. The GOAT long, man. <laughs> and, and it is, as you say, it is that combination of talent and longevity, but that it, it's almost now, because it wasn't a flash in the pan last year in Melbourne, the fact he's won three now, and it is, and people are talking about him being better than ever. Can't almost compare that now to like Bolt, who is probably is the greatest athlete of all time in in certain aspects, and maybe dominated for how long did he dominate for? Like eight years mm. in other sports. You know, Ronaldo, Messi, undoubtedly two best footballers on the planet over the last few years. But even you know, they only started winning the Ballon d'Or kind of two thousand eight, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Federer had already been winning well, he'd, he'd gone dominating most dominant global phase, sport yeah. for a few years and now you think well Ronaldo and Messi you know it, they, they won't have that longevity they coming may, towards but, the end exactly yeah. so just like in that sense alone it, it, it's astonished to dominate 
again to be have a dominant period in a global sport having achieved already what he's achieved yeah yeah absolutely well, he's going to be favorite for Wimbledon this year 15 years after he won it for the first time yeah it's madness and and yeah 17 years after beating Sampras mm. who was the who was the previous best ever player on on grass um and you think of they mentioned that he's not He's not, you know, he doesn't have the slam record in all of tennis in that Margaret Court, um, well, Serena and Steffi oh. Graf um, have more. But you think, uh, an, an example like that, Margaret Court, um, it was a different sport back then. And more of the tournaments were played on grass. Um, quite a lot of players didn't travel to all of the tournaments. The draws were smaller, all this sort of thing. But not just that. And, and, and um, this is sort of opening up a whole different area, but you might have seen that Margaret Court's been quite heavily criticised for her stance on, on um, you know, LG, gay marriage LGBT and all sorts of stuff. Rights and that's and, the, yeah. other, the other side of it, is that quite apart from all the stuff, like Federer seems to do everything pretty well, like outside of, there aren't any scandals. There's not, there's not a Tiger Woods downfall. And we, we have mentioned this before, but it's kind of intriguing to think like, what would bring him down? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, what is he hiding? Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's, like, it's not, probably not a drugs thing, but what if he turns out to be like a neo-Nazi or like a... I don't know. I think okay. I might title this episode Roger Federer, What Is He Hiding? It's got, it's got like a dungeon in his <laughs> We're house. pretty fine out he's been dining with Tennis Sangren for uh, <laughs> yeah, every yeah. night at the tournament. Federer, best friends with Trump. Just... Uh, we should probably move this along, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked about that for ages. Um, so just in terms of uh, some of the other things that uh, came out of this, this men's draw, Kyle Edmund in the semifinals, uh, that was a pretty remarkable run, wasn't it? It was a remarkable run. Unexpected. Um that he did quite so well. Beating Dimitrov is a, is a brilliant... Dimitrov's become quite an interesting one because he's so sort of up and down. <laughs> it's like, start the question about Carl Edmund. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 30 seconds later. Yeah. I feel like we're going to be talking about not enough to say Dimitrov about Carl Edmund, though. Like like Carl Ed- okay, so Carl Edmund's good. And I think we're safe. I think I'm relatively safe in, say- in saying not we'll be seeing a lot more of him, but we will be seeing some more of him. <laughs> and and the, reason, the reason I bring this up is because something which is quite funny is that when I... When I dipped into the last podcast we did before before last week's one, which was 2016. This is this will make you laugh, right? Um, we were mentioning the French notes for the French Open 2016, and the commentators had said Murray's epic match against Matthias Borg. <laughs> we'll be seeing a lot more of him. <laughs> Who? Yeah. We said we'd be seeing more of Borg. Yeah, no, everyone no, did. No, right. All the pundits were just like, I mean, remember the name because. We will be seeing a lot more of him in Slam finals. Yeah. It's just like no, no, yeah. no one's heard of him since. So I, mean, I, I struggled to find him on the internet. So <laughs> he's just he's doing his own podcast now. Yeah, and no disrespect to him as well because he is. Yeah, he's a great tennis player. He's but, great. He's great. But he's, I think he's sort of one seventy in the world now. He's a so great podcaster as well. Don't don't always do the thing of we'll be seeing a lot more of him. But Carl Edmund is you know he he deserves the ranking he has. Uh, so he, what is he, what he is now he's, after he was what 40 he's up to 26 is, is he? he well like that? So you let's could, have a look I'll have a look I'll be, could I've got be, access to check it Sorry, this is your job on, to, on, to look things up he's in the mix yeah, he's up to 26 I, I don't want another repeat that's of the big. Wozniacki fiasco <laughs> yeah, 2009-2010 but I mean that, that you know that's awesome and it yeah and I think it played into his favour that Murray wasn't there you know obviously all the limelight was on him from a sort of British standpoint uh and that that was cool, and, and you know, he lived up to that. And it, it, again, it's no flash in the pan. As it, his is a a game that's been building steadily for the last year or or two. He's got an absolutely enormous forehand. He does one is of the it, biggest in the game. Is it the biggest in the well, game? Well, um, this was amazing that uh, they did something about 
who which player had the most sort of rotations on the ball as in like who hits the most spin I think the top three it was always for a lot for many years it was Nadal who hit more there was sort of they call it like more action on the ball like who generates most spin and then I think Jack Sock um overtook that because he's, he's got this kind of incredibly whippy forehand as well and I think last year Kyle Edmund um was actually the player who had like the most sort of spinny forehand because that's like a, a big part of it um that, that's a huge weapon it's really good to watch as well mm. like we, we all love a we all love a big forehand it reminded Hence, me of the Del Potro forehand a bit yeah, just in terms of like the hammer yeah well, Del Potro's one is so magnificent because it's so flat so mm. it's, it's a bit different in that sense but just any big forehand that you can bring out and in big moments, it's it, it means it's great to watch. And yeah. it, well, it I is. Know, I know all about that as well. But I think you know Edmund. He's only twenty three. Edmund. Uh, you know there aren't many players in and around that age bracket floating around the top sort of thirty. Obviously, Kyrgios, uh, Zverev. You know, yeah, Chung now into the top thirty. So yeah, I know. I think that's exciting. And you know, if he can again build on this and and be in and around, you know, he's going to have a. Well, it's going to be a phenomenal Wimbledon for him, isn't it? Because he's going to get obviously so much support. It's quite cool as well to have another British player. Like we sort of got used to this idea that there's like you're only allowed to have one. And then it was had- Henman for a decade, and now it's been Murray for a decade. Mm. But actually, you know, you look at somewhere like France, where they have eight, ten, twelve guys who could feasibly get to the fourth round or, yeah. or beyond. Although, well, this is a big question. But what what would you rather, as a British tennis fan, would you rather have? depth of players who are around sort of maybe could break into the top 10 or would you rather have one guy like Murray who's winning slam? question I, well no, I'd rather yeah I'd rather have Murray particularly over the last few years than the than France you know France has produced a lot of players but none of them have really been that's an interesting one there just um, yeah because as you say uh I think France for a while had you know the most players in the top 100 and top 150 and that sort of thing let's but, name them all we've got 50 hours here <laughs> Simon, Songa, Monfils, Benito, Manorino. <laughs> okay, well, we'll stop there. We'll stop there. But, um, but at, certainly in France, uh, this is definitely true. They are absolutely crying out for a Grand Slam winner, like nationally, and they have been. Well, Noah was the last. Yeah, I was going to say, was he the last one? Yeah, Yannick Noah. Noah. And was that the eighties? So they've now ago. they've now won the Davis Cup, which is one of their big things. But it's not as big as winning a Slam. That's, mm. I think that's how they regard it. And so that thing of having one champion, maybe that is even bigger. But in I, like, I this, like that tone. Was like that's ages ago. Like before Murray, it was what seventy five years. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Something. God, they're bad. It's like it's like, and they've all had all these players like finals. <laughs> yeah, but, but no, I mean, it, it's is, surprising when you consider how many top 10 players France has produced that they haven't had a, a slam winner in it's, that time. It's funny that thing as well of, um, if you think of Carl Edmund, the, the thing in sport of being like the second person to do something. You know, it's like uh, Bradley Wiggins mm. uh, wins the Tour de France. It's like, oh my God, biggest thing ever. It's like Chris Froome does it. It's like, no, it's also good. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Froome yeah. does yeah. it four times. So, so like, so. if Edmund wins Wimbledon next year, it's like, yeah, it's great. It's good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's several years since once someone, a British person won Wimbledon. Do you think, yeah, no, 83, do you think... It'll be 40 years in, obviously, in 2023, in five years' time. Good maths. Wow. It's sticking on my feet here. Do you think France will have had a Grand Slam champion by then? Yeah, I mean... There's not really... Is there any kind of... In terms of, like, that next-gen crop of players, there isn't a French guy mm, in there, is there? The, mm, no, possibly not. I mean, 
but yeah, so Monfils is, I think, perhaps the French player who has the most talent and athletic ability, but he's just a bit of a nutter. Mm. He's great. He's great value. I think most of the players consider him like the funniest player on tour and in some ways most spectacular. But he's not... Can't put it all together. do it for seven, mm. for seven matches somehow. And Songa, you know, Songa's been, been right up there. Um, well, he got to slam final, didn't he, Songa? Yeah. I think he's, yeah, he's, he's a possibility. But yeah, you're, you're still struggling mm. getting past the, uh, the, the, the big four. Just very quickly on the, on the point of the big four. This, this is an issue which has come up just recently. People saying, does it still exist? Well, not at the moment, you'd have right, to say. Will, do you think it will continue? No. To some degree. You don't you, you can't I, see that those four sort of share the spoils, at least in terms of being in semis of tournaments together and things? Well, I think it's hard to say. Uh I can't that's why I've questioned you about it. <laughs> because <laughs> if it was easy, I wouldn't mind. Yeah, no, but well, yeah, but, we never said this podcast like would be easy to him. No, but obviously you know, swanned in here. He was just like, this is gonna be If you're saying we oh, were here last week, <laughs> God's sake <laughs> doing it on our own. <laughs> Baff and I were not expecting an easy discussion and you've just swung in here thinking you're like you own the place no but if you're going to say is the big four that requires obviously by definition all four to be in the mix <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. good maths again I'm really glad we've got over here <laughs> yeah. it's been a real addition to that's the- <laughs> <laughs> but obviously you know I, I don't know that, that to me that seems unlikely now you know how, how long has Federer got left okay we rate him off six, six years ago whatever you well, did some people did I didn't I never rate him off yeah both you did uh, but you know he could conceivably be around in like four years' time. I don't know. But yeah. I think you'd have to but say... Even, but the other three, based on, you know, traditional notions of like a, when a career comes to the end, haven't got that long either. So they're, know, they're all the wrong side and of yet, 30, yeah. aren't they? This is my point, and this is why... Like us. This is why I was so <laughs> irritated by your Charlie Eccleshares, your Harry Balls, all those <laughs> so people. them again. I made them again. Yeah, they can respond. Um, but all of those people, they wrote off someone that good... Um, but also someone who the other players categorically would not write off. And so that's the same situation now. It's like, you think you go around the locker room, you're like, oh, do you think um, it's just completely over uh, for Murray and Djokovic? Like, you would not find a single player on the tour who'd think that was the case. Uh, yes, they might not win, like, all the slams together, but you think, like, they'll all have chances to add to their slam tallies. They'll all have chances, but I do categorically think, though, that... We're not going to have a, a period of, yeah. of of multiple slams where you expect those four that's to be what, yeah. in the semis. That's or, what I was going to say, yeah. if I could get a word in edgeways here, that I, I well, think... Well, we said it now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't just repeat what, what come clever men like new Come up with a new point, Mayfield. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think I've got to get to the toilet. Oh. I've heard this. <laughs> He's actually gone. He's gone. I think... He's turned his computer around. He's just playing football manager. I knew it. Are you serious? Oh, my God. <laughs> I think the era of the big four is over. I think, wow. like, in terms of, if you think about, like, 2011, 2012, where it was literally every Grand Slam, mm. the semifinals were just the big four. It's good, this, isn't it, with Tone out of the room? It's so much better. The elephant. It? Quit getting the insults. <laughs> it's just... Elephant out of the room. Instantly, it's a much more agreeable atmosphere. I know. And, and cleverer. Mm. He, ra- he lowers the IQ. And raises the smut. <laughs> Can you hear me, Tone? Um, so, if it is the end of the Big Four, even if it's not, let's just have a moment now, and we should do this. A moment which of silence. Is, which is, yeah, a moment of silence. Hang on, Tone's back. One minute. S- stop saying Hold on. negative things about him. He's putting his headphones yeah, on. Wanker, twat. Oh, hey, Tone. Good to have you back. It wasn't the same without you. 
Hey. Um, so not a minute of silence for the big four, because I also don't think it's entirely over, but just a moment of appreciation for the fact that we've been through and watched the period of tennis in which, and regardless of who you think's like, whether you disagree on who the goat is between them, you know, I've said like, I think Djokovic raised at one point as playing a level which has never been seen before. Um, but if you think we have the best clay quarter of all time, the best grass court player of all time, and in Djokovic, potentially best the hard court player, like between him and Federer. And, and also Andy Murray. And the best British player yeah, of all time. It, and then the best British player of all time. Um, and it also makes you think like, poor old Murray, like what an era mm. to have been a player in. Uh, but that is incredible. We've basically, we've, we've had the three best players ever in the men's game. Um, in and, and we've enjoyed like so a, a moment of of thanks. Thanks you four. <laughs> um, yeah, you mentioned him a while ago, mm. Tane uh, Chung. Of course, the other beaten semi finalist. I, I mentioned him, but never mind. Well, not really interested in, in who it was, but I was just gonna. It was just a segue to talk about Chung. Uh, brilliant run from him as well. He played so well, and again, talking about you know sort of exciting players to watch and and you know like all players he really had the crowd on his side again possibly because he was playing Djokovic but he was really getting the crowd on their feet I thought this is a really kind of uh, exciting guy to be coming mm. through in some ways I think he's perhaps the most complete of the kind of next gen players and and uh seems to mentally be be very very strong I mean his win over Zverev was interesting in that regard in that Zverev has a higher ranking and Zverev has done the best of that kind of age group but Zverev fell apart at the end of that match and was kind of being a bit of a whiny sort of princess uh, in that match about the lighting and this sort of thing whereas Chung kind of just got on with it and won the fifth six love and maybe that's a kind of that'll be an interesting you know mm. maybe we'll look back on that and think you know that was a moment kind of next generation of players mm. um, I mean what they said about the Djokovic match is he sort of out Novak'd Djokovic, um, his movement, it's just getting to his, everything, his game, the, the yeah. depth of shot. It was really sad when he retired in the Federer match, and I, I thought it was very silly that there were things about like, oh, you know, you can't retire with blisters. It's like, well, firstly, there was a photo of what his foot actually looked like, and it was horrendous. But also, like, if 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 blisters get that bad and you can't move, and your movement's the biggest part of your game, and you're playing Federer. It's not you're not worth. It's not worth being out there, is it? Mm. And like, I mean, he doesn't have a very big serve. I'd say out of the possible things which will hold him back, that'll that'll be the the one. It's tough to do that well in in tennis if if you know the most important shot of the game. You've got a bit of a, a weakness there. But I mean, that isn't that amazing. Like you you beat Djokovic in straight sets when you don't have like a mm. particularly good serve. That's how good he is. There's a phenomenal run, and I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of him. <laughs> yeah, um, remember the name. But, and building on what we were talking about last time, oh, Patrick, back to Tony breaking things over there. It was really a lot better last week, wasn't it? But it, yeah, what we were what we smoother. Were, what we were saying about um, you know the kind of Asian shift in tennis Sorry. and the, <laughs> stop <laughs> breaking everything. Uh, just, um, in the, a china shop the kind of Asian shift in tennis and this is uh, something that I wanted to talk about and I know we are coming towards the end here So, but just, just quickly because it is relevant to uh, to this tournament I wondered and I, I'd, I'd be interested to know what, what both of you think about this do you think that the four Grand Slams will always be in the same four countries is it the case that because of the tradition you know, and the history that the Grand Slams have to be in those four countries in perpetuity? Or could you envisage a situation where 
either you know they make an active decision to take one of the Grand Slams somewhere else or that another tournament comes along that eventually becomes bigger and overtakes one of them, maybe even a fifth slam. I'm thinking maybe if, you know, if there is this kind of Asian shift going on, if tennis does become really popular in China, could uh, some kind of Chinese Open eventually, you know, would, 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 the organ- I- like, would the tennis authorities come to see that as, as commercially so lucrative that having a Grand Slam in China would actually be really important for the game? And if so, you know... Uh, the reason I mention it now is because presumably the Australian Open would be the one that would be most vulnerable to, Tony, to a change. No, I was going to say, I, I, I think it was an interesting point. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the emergence of yeah Asian players is is exciting and, and yeah will be very exciting for the game. I, I think, I don't know whether it, maybe it's slightly, slightly overestimated it though, just based on, if you, if you look at some of the, the lists of players uh you know, up to a certain age limit, there are, it's still dominated by France, Germany, America. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's just about like the players coming yeah. through, like that is one side of it for sure, but also just the, the growth of tournaments. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, like, there's so a tournament think, now in Wuhan, there's a tournament in Shenzhen, it's, you know, there's loads of tournaments happening in China. No, I which think, is partly longer ec- term, it will, yeah, sorry. No, no, it's partly an economic issue, isn't it? It's like, um, you think of, uh, again, I don't know that much about football, but like, um, uh, there's an increase in like, you know, football in China and just the amount of money and the kind of economy and the way that um, there'll be more sort of presumably more kind of Chinese owners of clubs managed, you know, that th- there will be a shift there. And that certainly uh, that's happened with Asia, with, with rugby and other things. Um, in Japan. Yeah. Did you finish your point? Tony? No, I was gonna, so I was going to say, I th- no, all I was going to say is, you know, yeah, perhaps we're, we're seeing the, maybe the very sort of, bud of it you know that, that it w- will take a little bit longer certainly on the playing side to follow through yeah well um i think you're right for sure and certainly regarding china who's right we, tony uh yes <laughs> uh, so re- re- um in terms of china uh, we and we touched on this last uh, last time on the pod but um it's like there aren't many chinese male players in the top level there are more female players and with li na uh, winning Grand Slams that it just sort of exploded um, in the country the the, the sport and um, just to give you a couple of like uh, stats about that when Li Na won the French Open so when she won her first Grand Slam 116 million people in China tuned in to watch it which was more than for like in a, you know than for the Super Bowl and I can't remember what the other one was but like some other vast sporting event combined. I mean, that's the market you're dealing with. And what I'd also mention is that um, uh, snooker wasn't a big thing in China at all. They had one champion and like virtually overnight, it became the biggest market in the world. That's what can happen. So maybe there's this point that, yes, it'll take a while for there to be that many players, but arguably it could only take, it could just take one to change it. And certainly this thing of like Chung doing this well. I mean, in Korea, he's like in South Korea, he's like just a massive star now and you will get way, way more people playing. So you will get more top players. Yeah, you, you know, you've got a couple of other Koreans as well in the top 200 young young Koreans. So yeah, yeah, a couple of years down the line, it could easily be very different. I mean, it, I, just, I, I just think like in terms of the, you know, the rise in Korea and the rise in China, it might become the case that they can't afford to not have a Grand Slam in China. Yeah, that market that you're talking about, that enormous market. Australia, the population is, what, 20 million? And, it, and then and it's that thing China, of sort it's of... 1.3 billion. Like, there's just no comparison. I'm if just, it becomes really popular in China, yeah. I just... 
The only issue with it is that it's that thing of that historically, as was the case with America, historically tennis was so Australia and America mm. dominated. Like so many of the of the legends of the game, but it's Labour not and Emerson really anymore. Were Australian, and it, yeah, that's what's interesting. Like how long would it take whatever for people to sort of accept mm. that um maybe that that is changing or that you know that well, that has changed you could maybe imagine it as an asian slam or an asia pacific slam i think you could, yeah, asia around. pacific is 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 a thought and it, it's in australia one year then somewhere in yeah, asia the next i don't, I don't know, know. It's uh, tricky. But, but it's just uh, like the tennis calendar is so jammed i don't think you can add a fifth so if no, it did become not. the case in 20, 30 years that they wanted to have one of the four main tournaments in China. And they have talked about this before. It would and probably be the Australian that would have to go. They've said that, you know, they've, they've, they've have talked about this and said that, you know, it's the Australian is the, is the possible one, which, mm. which, which would change. Um, you can't see, I mean, it's not going to move from Wimbledon, I don't think, or, or, or either of the other two. Um, uh, yeah. And I, I, money is obviously very important. And as you say, the other three, they're always going to have the money which is going to talk and also the, the history there i think any any young player from any country wants to is going to want you know whether that's now or in 50 years i can you know they're still going to want to be a part of that and you know we've talked about federer at length he will be everyone's tennis idol for for years or you know certainly for, yeah in terms of his, his career how many people growing up have watched him and will want to go and try and replicate what he's done at wimbledon at the us open well, I think we're pretty much at the end here then. Thanks, guys. Another enjoyable one. Some interesting points, particularly the ones that I made. Um, Less so, I think. We'll be back at some point. Well, let's commit to it. French Open. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely be back for the French Open. We'll be Open. definitely be back for the French Open, if not before, because it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Fed Nadal head-to-head and who's going to get world number one and also see if the young, the young guns can... Uh, can do anything about it. These are such firm commitments. And if you know anything about us guys, so when we commit to doing a podcast, we might well not do it <laughs> for two years. <laughs> it could happen. All right. Cheers, guys. Fast. Thanks for coming. Bye <laughs> bye. You heard it the- here first. Cherry. <laughs> you heard what? If <laughs> this, whole, oh. this whole episode. You heard it. <laughs> well, just make up your own minds <laughs> yeah. what you heard, but you did hear <laughs> it here first. <laughs> Whatever you heard, you heard it here first. (laughs) Bye-bye for now. I think also it's better to be a little bit quiet because I can I can make it louder in post, but I can't get rid of the plosives in post. I'm not really known for my plosives. Oh shit! No, I do have strong plosives. You do have I? plosives, yeah. Yeah, you are. That's why I was. I noticed. In- so we're all. That's what we all call you. Yeah, plosive Pat. Pat. <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm known as a uh, explosive tennis player um, <laughs> and a plosive podcaster. Right, I'm going to start going, if that's all right with you, lads. Yeah, get on with it. Okay.
We've only oh got Oh my god, listen to that. That's really loud. That's incre- <laughs> that's a good sound effect though. No. <laughs> <laughs> Quite that's like, how we that's should like start a mastermind it. bong. Get rid of the right to Ding. left song. We should just have that at the start. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. I'll get going then. Yeah, imagine the music playing now. Can I sing along to it? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, <laughs> <laughs> countdown. It's a bit like that, actually. Um, I don't know if did you see the end of the match because Wozniacki's defence, and I think it was the penultimate point. Lot of places. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's not. Yeah, there's no. I'm just an expressive guy. There's though. no pop filter on earth that's been built to <laughs> withstand <laughs> your. I don't know how. Like, I seem to use more peas than ever, though. <laughs> <laughs> penultimate point is absolutely poignant and it's Plishkova's penultimate point in terms of like that next gen crop of players there isn't a French guy mm. in there is there the, mm, no possibly not I mean Lucas Monfils, Puy. Monfils. Puy. 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 Monfils yeah. has the talent <laughs> hang on Puy. <laughs> Yeah. How do you say it? Federer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lucas Puy is in there, isn't he? Uh, as well. Impossible. 17th in the talent world. Of Puy. <laughs> um, yeah. Monfils. He's only young. It made me laugh. So he's only 23. Way, on the film podcast that we <laughs> keep going on about, like, how massive Star Wars fans we are, but then there's a few times you're like, how do you say like, You're like, what is it? Star- is it a Star Destroyer? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Is it Jedi or Jedi? <laughs> bye bye for now. Oh, that was a long one. That's for our slogan. That was a long one. That was good. I enjoyed that. It's good though. Good banter.